Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit. Bullshit is rampant. Total fucking bullshit. B -b bullshit. This makes no fucking sense. I mean, it's just bullshit. Fuck. Bullshit is bullshit. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as proud as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Welcome back to Bullshit Filtered, uh, not the news, just the war on drugs, right. uh, episode 3.27, I know where I am, I know where it was happening, I'm with it. Uh, yeah, you're, you're hip and you're cool. We're in the middle of the, we're in the middle of the 80s. Uh, at the end of our last episode, I was talking about Nancy Reagan and Just Say No in right. 1984. Ray was trying to pull ahead to 1986 because... I was in my uh, DeLorean and I apologised for that. He suffered a traumatic brain injury as a child and it's uh, 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 affected his it's ability kicking, to... Yeah, it's kicking in. ...follow a very simple fucking process of... Uh, is it? Is it simple? Going from one point to the next point mm -hmm. without jumping all over the place. Maybe I remember the '80s different than you. So I hear that keeps saying, "You d don't put your hand on my knee and then try and fuck me up the ass." Like the next minute, it's like there's a yeah, there's a process. Oh, see, now it put makes your hand sense on my knee, me. right? Put your arm around my shoulders, look me in the eye, right? Look me in the eye, uh, whisper sweet nothings in my ear. Wait five <laughs> years. <laughs> then you can fuck me up the ass. Um, I was talking to Tony Coniston. Tony Coniston called me on the weekend. Big, big, big red, big red. And uh, we were talking about the documentary and stuff. And he goes, oh, by the way, he said, I went for a walk. Uh, no, it wasn't, it was during the week, it wasn't the weekend. So I, was going, I went for a walk this morning and I, uh, he said, I just listened to the Renaissance episode where he found out that Ray took five years dating before his wife before they had sex. He was like, what the fuck? What is wrong with him? What the fuck? <laughs> Only an Australian would. No, I said, I was well, in love. Yeah. You, you've met him, you know. Oh, you know. thanks. I think Tony said, "Look, if it was Madonna, you were waiting, and she said, like, we can't have sex. Well, you go. Well, maybe I'll give you six months. Six months <laughs> tops. I'm going to wait. <laughs> but after that, for Madonna in a prime, not yeah. like not like Madonna now. <laughs> Madonna in 1984. Right. You would have maybe waited six months. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, you know, you know what? I, I really don't want to get in deeper trouble in case Heather ever listens to this one day or her mother. So I'm just going to say, yeah, the war on drugs. Because <laughs> it's going to happen, I'm sure. So um, I, I, I briefly mentioned before uh, in the previous episode that one of the things that Reagan wanted to push through was the demand, dismantling of civil protections against search warrants. Yeah. That's what I want to talk about um, in, in, for the next 30 minutes. So... Keep in mind that the war on drugs has always been fueled by a combination of two things. The disenfranchisement mm -hmm. of segments of society, mostly the underclasses, right. by criminalizing the mostly harmless behavior that they engaged in, which was doing some drugs. Right. Um, if they'd been drinking beer, no one would have batted an eyelid. These puff a joint, fuck you, go to jail and don't get to vote ever again. Right? And we're taking the, everything from you. Um, yeah. And the other component of the war on drugs was about playing up 
the the danger of these drug users mm. to create a fear in the minds of the majority, the white majority, uh, and use that fear to justify spending of public monies to build up political and policing infrastructure that strengthened the careers of the mostly white men in power and the, the corporations that uh, profited mm-hmm. out of this. Because like the, the economics of war, as we've talked about endlessly in our Cold War series, the economics of policing is very similar. Uh, if you pass a bill that gives $200 million to the police to fight the war on drugs, what happens with that money? Well, they use it to hire some more cops, mm-hmm. okay? Some people get jobs out of it, all good. They also use it to buy more police cars. Who gets that? Car manufacturers. Right. They use it to buy more guns. Who gets that? Gun manufacturers. They use it to buy more walkie-talkies. Who gets that? Walkie-talkie manufacturers. Um, the, the people who make the clothing, the people who make the shoes, right. the people who make badges, the people who make fucking typewriters and, and paper forms yeah. and people who train them. you know yeah donuts right. um, the, peop- <laughs> the people who make the people who make the brown paper bags that the cops get uh, bribed in by some drug dealers to look important. the other way or by the right. politicians who get caught or the cool uh, with drug money to look yeah. the other way yeah right. So everyone benefits. That's the thing. Whenever you, it's the thing I think people miss the most. Right. Uh, and fucking Cicero, man, qui bono. He told us this two thousand years ago. Follow the money. We we don't. We say, well, uh, you know, two hundred million dollars is going to drug enforcement. Everyone goes, yeah. Hey, no one goes. Well, is exactly. It? Where yeah. is that money going again? Who is benefiting from that money? And is it possible? That they're then taking some of the money. So if you're a manufacturer of uh, 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 guns for cops, right? The money goes. Oh, money for guns, and and so you give it to the justice department. They give it to the police department. Police spend it on guns. They buy it from gun manufacturers, who then take some of that money and put it into lobbying uh, or, or to campaign re-elections for the politicians that are supporting the war on drugs because <laughs> they're going to raise more money, which is going to go back to those guys, and it's a, it's a virtuous cycle. Right. That's the genius of American democracy. The genius of American capitalism is the people in power take money from the public coffers and give it to their friends who keep them, who then use some of that to keep them in power so they can get more money to give it to their friends, et cetera, yeah. et, cetera et cetera. And, and they make us thank them for it or love them for it because we think they're doing something for us. Now, we, we've seen that in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s under Harry the Gunslinger, Anslinger, <laughs> it was all about targeting the, the blacks, the Mexicans, and the jazz musicians, right. Billy Holiday, in the 70s under Nixon, then it was all about going after the anti-war demonstrators in the civil rights movement. Right. In the 80s under Reagan, it's about cementing his tough-on-crime position, uh, creating massive funds of money that goes into policing, that goes into destroying the left. Even though, And I'm not talking about the Democrats, because as we've seen, Joe Biden oh, right was there. helping push all this as well. So this is not the... Left, left, not the real left. De- the Democrats are your fake left. Um, <laughs> fake news left. 
your corporate left. Well, you know, George Carlin famously said uh, there's only one political party in America and it's the corporate party, the business party, mm-hmm. and it has two divisions, the Republicans and the Democrats, right? <laughs> but you had the real left. I mean, not much of it. It was sort of crushed by McCarthy and Hoover and those guys mm-hmm. um, during sort of the 50s and the 60s. But you still had some left that were pushing for real change um, the remnants of the New Deal, the, you know, the remnants of people that were pushing for political change, uh, unions, people like that, and they, they had to crush those. Uh, and they were using you, – you, you build up the fear of drugs, you use that to give more money to policing, you lose, use policing and these wiretap laws and the, the um, preventative detention laws and all this to stop – protests if they're going to be union protests and you get to wiretap mm-hmm. unions and all this kind of stuff it all fits in with a, a general thrust you, you you justify tearing down these civil rights protections and funding the policing the police state infrastructure with drugs oh my god right. won't someone think of the children <laughs> and then you use it to go after your real enemies that's what anslinger did that's what Nixon did, and that's what Reagan and, and Hitler, Joe Biden, oh, right, right, are doing. Right. No, but but you you make a good point. First, you got the race war, you got the cultural war, you got the civil rights war. I mean, it's all wrapped up in this, and it's being funded by the American people, and the American people are being hoodwinked. But they're just literally going after everyone who is not a part of them. I mean. Just think of all the good they could have been doing those eight years in office, but no, they pretty much want to destroy the other side and and keep dominating in in the political realm. It's just sad and pathetic, but not unexpected. Well, it's all a culture war. It's all about uh, 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 stopping political change, crushing political change and strengthening the uh the the power of the corporate elite now by the 80s the republicans had managed to stack the supreme court with right-leaning justices a bit like your current president our lord and savior trump two so far uh has now managed to do. Well, you know, his two adds to the others that were still there right. from the Bush days. So now they've got a extreme right minority. I mean, a majority. I mean, they kind of had uh, the power when Scalia was uh, still alive. Now mm-hmm. they've really got it again with Kavanaugh, uh, who's finally got his, um, his nomination approved last right. week. Yes. Now, um, in 1983, 84... Um, the court was known as the Burger Court. Um, delicious. My favourite burger chain was <laughs> mm, the Burger Court. Mm-hmm. Um, burger. Of the nine Supreme Justices you had, seven were appointed by Republicans. Wow. Um, Reagan, Eisenhower, LBJ, JF... Uh, sorry. Oh, fuck it, Let me go back again. Four of them were Nixon appointees. Mm-hmm. Reagan, Eisenhower, LBJ, JFK, and Ford all had one each. Ah. So four, five, six, seven, Ford, uh, Reagan, Eisenhower, and Ford are your Republicans. LBJ and JFK are the two uh, Democrat nominations. Now, one of the things that the Supreme Court did in 1984 was overturn what was colloquially referred to as the two-pronged test. Mm. 
more officially known as the exclusionary rule. I mentioned this briefly, I think, in the last episode. Now, this is a rule that had been around for a long time. Basically meant that the police couldn't arrest you or couldn't get a search warrant to search your property or your vehicle based on a confidential informant or an anonymous tip unless they could convince the judge signing the warrant Mm -hmm. or the judge on the bench if you'd been arrested without a warrant that the informant was reliable and credible. Ah. So you couldn't just get an anonymous tip that said uh, Ray Harris is running a meth lab in his basement with no name on it. Right. Judge would look at it and go, well, who is this person? Who's making the tip? How how do do we know know? they're not just me? Right. Right. So we're not going to ruin Ray's life. Thank you. On the basis of an anonymous tip. Now, if you go, well, the tipster, your your honour, is um, Bob, uh, is, is actually Heather. Right. Uh, his wife. She lives her in the D'Angelo. house. She doesn't. She, right. She, her and D'Angelo, her black, well-hung lover. Um, they, don't want to, they don't want Ray to know that they're the ones that tipped us off, but right. we know it's her. Right. Reliable uh, source. She, she's so, come to us. Yeah. She, she, she's, you know, she's seen the, the meth uh, lab. Yeah. She's used the meth. She and D'Angelo use the meth when they're fucking. That's how uh, they proved it, yeah. And she looks when very they happy tie- and content. Tie Ray to a chair in the corner, <laughs> no. gag him no. with D'Angelo's wife fronts and make him watch <laughs> while sitting on a vibrating dildo, which, you know, and listen, don't get me wrong, he asked for all of that. He no. said, Could you please tie me up and put a oh. vibrating dildo that looks like D'Angelo's cock in my butt while no. I watch it? Um, then they go, okay, that's a credible tip. Right. A little and disgusting, but can, incredible. And can, can we get video of that just to be sure? <laughs> now, yes. the fear, as I said last time, was that um, if, if you were allowed to do that, apart from the fact that uh, the Fourth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution provides the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures. But the fear was that if anonymous tips could be used, then your enemy, um, your next-door neighbour could just fake a tip against you um, and it'll, you know, fuck up your day, if not a year of your life, and there's no repercussions on the anonymous tipster because it's anonymous. So yeah. they can, they get away with it. Or cops could just start manufacturing tips uh. um, a la Jimmy McNulty in the last season of The Wire <laughs> and 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 uh, uh, use it just to fuck up people whose lives they don't like. And oh God. when you have civil forfeiture, that oh, you're allowed right. to take people's shit before they're even charged with a crime, let alone found guilty of a crime. And then that the, the money from those assets goes to the police department. It becomes a pot shot. Right. If you're a cop, you go, well, we know that one in a hundred people is guilty of something, so let's just start arresting a hundred people. One of them's going to pay off. We get to keep the money. Yeah. Right. Fucking it's a crapshoot. <laughs> And life is a my arrest shot. record goes up. You right. know, oh, have I, I fucking I arrested a hundred people this month, boss. Yeah. Give me a promotion. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ninety nine percent of them were set free a year later. But hey, yeah. You know, we got their I, shit. I, I, I hit my I hit my budget for the month. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so that's what they were trying to avoid. But in 1984, Supreme Court threw that whole thing out the door. Do you want to talk about Charles, Detective Charles Mader, the story? No, not going to go into that much detail, but high level, high level of the story. Oh, I like the story. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, kind of, we don't get too much in the weeds, man, but, uh, you know, give, yeah. me, give me a high level version of it. Yeah. Can um, you do that? Can you give me the reader? For once, I'm asking you to give me a Reader's Digest version <laughs> of the story. See, you're throwing me off with that with that request. I know. So, yeah. hey, keep so, you unbalanced. So it comes before the Supreme Court, even though I think at least three other courts, and this is the uh, Illinois versus Gates, where um, this cop got a tip, a uh, big giant um, 350 pounds of marijuana where there was arrest of a couple. This goes before the Supreme Court because the tip, like you were saying a minute ago, was anonymous. It was very detailed. But it was anonymous, so it met one condition, but it didn't meet the other condition. So this goes before the Supreme Court. And what gets me is that the uh, the judges seem to not be very well versed on this whole two-prong test. But anyway, so um, the defendant and the defending and the prosecuting um, lawyers present their case to the, to the Supreme Court. And the guy who's defending, Riley, he thinks this is going to take about six months. But six weeks later, the court calls them back and says, look, we want to re-argue the case. However, we have a specific question for you. Should the exclusionary rule be modified to allow illegally seized evidence to be used in court, provided the police had a reasonable belief the search was legal? And for Riley, this lawyer who's defending this couple is like, that's not even the point. One, you can't just willy-nilly decide to use exclusionary rule and sometimes not. But the point is, this has not come up in the original case, so you can't bring it up. So this is not even something that you can be asking me. And he makes that point to the Supreme Court. But I guess you can, I don't know if you want to call it the political wins at the time or because there's seven of nine um, I think you said, I can't remember exactly how many are conservative at this point, but no, six, but six, but they ignore all that and they, and they give the case to the state of Illinois versus Gates. And they pretty much say, look, this anonymous tip, we're good with this. This is something that we're going to allow. Now we weren't supposed to bring it up. So we're looking for another court case, but as far as the two pronged approach, as far as anonymous tips, the Supreme court is good with it. Go ahead, cops. Do what you want. Seven of nine. Tertiary adjunct of Unimatrix zero one. It's been too long. We're prisoners on an alien ship. Voyager has no idea we're missing. And the doctor's been decompiled. The reports of my decompilation have been greatly exaggerated. Seven of nine. From Star Trek Voyager, there <laughs> a little bit of a Star Trek reference for the nerds. Yeah, one of the one of the Borg. Never watched Star Trek Voyager, so I have no idea what's going on in these <laughs> clips. But I did know it was a Star Trek reference. Um, Let me just ask you a question, real quick. So, so the Supreme Court no. comes down on the side of the cops. They they had a basically anonymous tip, but William Rehnquist wrote for the winning side. It was a classical case of one side having the facts, the cops, and the other side having the law. I can almost see what he's getting at, but the point is this is an established rule. This is established conditions for this um, to be met, and it doesn't matter about facts or it doesn't matter about the law. This is the way it is, and you can't just willy-nilly change it just to 
go after 350 pounds of marijuana. It's the principle of the thing. The, the, the law in America, it's about the principle, not just because you want the cops to win. Yeah, look, um, I'm no longer um, actively working as a constitutional lawyer in the U.S., but my understanding uh, of this, just to drill down a little bit in in what you said, is that the – there are two problems with this. Number one, it was enshrined in the Constitution that you can't just uh, uh, search people's property, as the cops did in Illinois versus Gates, based on an anonymous tip. Right. But secondly, as you said, uh, so the Supreme Court should have thrown the whole case out. Yeah, um, it had been it had you know the, the the lower courts had agreed that no, sorry, you can't do this. But the prosecutor in this case um, kept appealing, and he went up the food chain until he got to the Supreme Court. The um, the, the defense attorney for the Gates couple that were caught with a whole bunch of weed in their trunk of their Mercedes um, thought of. You know, this is going to be over in a heartbeat because, um, you know, fucking Constitution. Yeah, duh. Um, A, the Supreme Court uh, ruled against them, and B, they started questioning whether or not they should throw out the whole exclusionary rule. This is the what we also call the two. It's called the exclusionary rule because that 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 a tip has to be excluded. Right. right, if it's not if it's not verifiable it or meet. credible, right. called the two pronged test, I believe, because one prong is you have a tip. Um, the other prong is the credibility of that tip has to be assessed. And if you have one without the other, it's it's no bueno. So, um, and he's like, but the problem is the Supreme Court is only allowed to rule on things that have been raised in lower courts. Right. The exclusionary rule was never even raised by the lower courts. It's not like they were like, you know what, we can't decide on this. Uh, Let's send it to the Supreme Court and get them to work it out. Uh, The Supreme Court just by themselves went, eh, I don't know, maybe we should uh, do it. Anyway, in Illinois versus Gates, they didn't make a judgment. They did rule against the Gates couple, but they didn't make a ruling about the exclusionary rule. What they said was... I don't know, maybe somebody should send this to us and we should have a look at it uh, at a later date, Yeah, which somebody did three weeks later, <laughs> coincidentally. Um, like, oh, really? Oh, wow, we could get rid of that? Fucking you beauty, let's do it. Now, yeah. um, what they replaced it with is something they called a good faith exception Aww. to the exclusionary rule or the totality of the circumstances rule. Now, here's my way of explaining that. Let's say... You catch Heather um, in flagrante delicto, <laughs> what? as it. we say in the as we say in the church, um, <gasps> bent over on all fours right. with D'Angelo's twelve-inch <laughs> deep, deep inside his twelve-inch jurist, deep inside her prudence, and but she's not. You like say it. no. Go ahead. You say, hey, <laughs> fucking I caught you in the middle of it. She goes, wait, 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 wait. You have to consider the totality of the circumstances. Right. Right. Before you get upset. Right. Let's hear consider, me out. Yeah. Can, yeah. Consider the totality of the circumstances. You go, well, I can't wait. You go, well, I dropped a coin. I bent over to pick it up. Right. And D'Angelo accidentally walked into the room with right. his dick out and hard. <laughs> accidentally penetrated me right? and kept doing it for the next two and a half hours but because we couldn't figure out what, how, to, how to disengage. The physics so, involved, 
Right, right. You have to take all of that into account. Okay. You know, if Heather ever, if Heather ever does end up leaving you for a black guy, I'm going to feel terrible about these jokes I've been making all these years. <laughs> so am I. Or you're right. Or I'll be called a prophet and uh, we'll build a cult around it. Anyway, um, <laughs> if she ever listens to the show, she'll go, "Hmm, uh, maybe hmm. have an affair with a black guy." I yeah. haven't. Uh, I wonder. Uh, anyway, so. This means the police could now fucking just pull you over. Yeah. Search your car. Right. Uh, and if they found something, they could go, well, you know, we just, you know, we had a sense that uh, we, sense. we smelled something. Yeah. And we thought, or they could get a warrant to do this just because they had a suspicion yeah. that you were doing something illegal. Um, you know, better to get a warrant um, before you do it and make sure that, you know, you've got a judge who's already signed off on it. But they could go, you know what, uh, you know. Or if they just did it without a warrant, then when it went to court, the, the, the search or the arrest might get thrown out if the judge decides, yeah, it wasn't really, the totality of the circumstances wasn't in your favour. But you can go to a judge now and say, listen, we got an anonymous tip right. that these people are doing something. We want to bust them. Yeah. And the judge will go, yeah, okay, yeah. sure. Supreme Court says it's okay. Do you want to know if the tip's credible? You're right. No, no. fucking no. If you say it's, if, you say you got a tip, you, you got a tip, feel, go do it. If you feel in good faith that it's a solid tip, I'll back you up. William Brennan, one of the dissenting justices, wrote in his dissenting opinion at the time, the court's victory over the Fourth Amendment is now complete. Oh, that's exactly right. And who are they going to harass? Who are they going to go after? Who are they going to persecute? It's not me and the other crackers. It's everyone else who doesn't look like them, who doesn't conform. Um, and again, it's just part of the culture war. And now they have a very, very powerful tool to go after these people. Meanwhile, Senator Strom Thurmond... Uh-huh. One of your old... My bud. My boy. Good old boys right. from South Carolina. Yeah. Um, now, he was... For people who don't know of Strom Thurmond, uh, people who aren't Americans or, or, or young Americans... Right. A bit of Bowie there. Because I said to Chrissy, you know Strom Thurmond? She goes, look, I fucking heard the name. Yeah. You know. He... Represented South Carolina from 1954 until 2003. Fuck. The only reason he stopped representing them in Congress in 2003 is that he reached the age of 100. Right. Which is the enforced retirement age for a congressperson. Um, He famously switched from being a Democrat to being a Republican. Mm. In 1964, why, Ray? I do not know. Is that when the South in general was going Republican? But I do not know. He didn't like the Civil Rights Act, Ray. Um, that doesn't sound that, right. Uh, no, LBJ was pushing through the Civil Rights Act. He's like, fuck this. What? Fuck this. <laughs> I'm becoming a Republican. Um, Equal now, my ass. at the time, yeah. in 1984, Strom was, uh, what kind of a fucking name is Strom anyway? Um, He was trying to pass a new crime bill 
mm-hmm. in the Senate that also would get rid of the two-pronged rule. His bill passed the Senate three to one. And so they were coming at it from different angles. They were trying to get it passed ah. uh, as legislation, and the Supreme Court was also trying to do something about it. The GOP were basically trying to get rid of this exclusionary Damn. rule mm-hmm. so they can just arrest more people faster, basically. Yeah. Now, uh, he's also famous, by the way, Strom, for the longest ever filibuster done by a lone senator. It went for 24 hours and 18 minutes, non-stop. Shit. In 1957, to oppose the Civil Rights Act. See, that should be that should be a mark of embarrassment and humiliation, and yet it's not in certain sections of our country. But you know, if you know one thing for sure about Strom Thurmond, <laughs> you got to hand it to He's him. He's got lungs, staying power, staying power, staying power, <laughs> and um, he, he doesn't like the darkies. No, right? No, no, no. Well, not above their station, but same thing. Except, uh oh, six have a black months. Baby, sorry, go ahead. Six months after he died, at the age of one hundred in two thousand and three, right? His secret mixed race daughter knew it, called it. Seventy-eight-year-old uh, Essie May Washington Williams. Revealed that he had raped her mother in 1925 when she had been his family's maid and was aged 15. Uh, and he had, like, supported the daughter ever since. Right. So you got to give him that. Um, do I? You know, you know, yeah. I raped, don't raped, like... Raped a 15-year-old black girl. I don't like blacks, but I like certain parts of their women. Is that what I'm hearing? I don't know. I mean, this yeah, is just, well, it's, it's good just, enough for Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> it's good enough for Strom Thurmond. He would. He was born in 1902, so he would have been 23 at the time that he raped the 15-year-old black. He, he, maid. he pulled a Tommy Jeff. I get that. I get that. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, SMA Washington Williams was an American teacher, author, and writer. She passed away in 2013. Wow. Ten years. Ten years after him. Uh, in 2005, she published her autobiography, which was nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. Wow. There you go. Yeah. Wow. 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 So Strom Thurmond's trying to pass this through. Now, um, the lone dissenter, by the way, um, of uh, his bill was uh, Senator Charles Mathias uh, Jr., Republican of Maryland. <laughs> so Republican. Right. Huh. Uh, uh, and his problem with it was it was going to cost too much money. Ah. Because uh, it's going to create put a lot of people in prisons, lead to prison crowning. Uh, he wasn't. He wasn't like, hey, this is against the constitution. Yeah. He was like, man, I'm not sure we can afford this. That was his. We can't lock them all. Main up. objection. Yeah. Hmm. Now, um, the Senate um, had earlier rejected an amendment that would have made it illegal for the government to secretly tape record telephone conversations. Right. Hmm. Uh, they wanted to push that in there into this bill. Senator Howard Metzenbaum, 
an Ohio Democrat, said, I'm beginning to think there's a lot more secret taping going on in this government than we've previously imagined. <laughs> like, really? I'm Senator shocked, sir. Shocked. Yeah. Shocked that there is a legal <laughs> telephone tape recording going on in this establishment. <laughs> now, um, this, this uh, bill to get rid of the um, exclusionary rule, mm-hmm. sponsored by Strom Thurmond and Paul Laxalt of Nevada, and... Sit down if you're not already. Joe Biden oh, of Delaware and Edward M. Kennedy of Massachusetts. Oh, so this is truly, you had Southerners, Westerners, Northerners. I mean, this must have been something that they all really wanted and really felt strong about. Mm. Now, um, but then it got it kind of got snookered, this whole thing, because of the Supreme Court ruling anyway. And they're like, oh, fuck, okay. Right, do that for nothing. But then they came, then a Republican Congressman Dan Lundgren of California came up with a new trick. Now, um, they were worried that, you know, it passed the Senate, this bill, but would have passed the House, which was controlled by Democrats. Right. And Joe, Joe Biden and Ted Kennedy weren't there to push it through. Um, so Dan Lundgren came up with a new trick. On September 25th, he, he created a... He, put a brand new bill, which is basically an exact replica of Strom Thurmond's bill, <laughs> into the House. Right. Um, but he attached it to a must-pass appropriations bill. Oh, God. That's about to go now, to the floor for a vote. Right. Exactly. So for people who don't know what we're talking about, if you haven't been paying attention over the last few years, this has happened a number of times, it's basically an appropriations bill is, listen, uh, in order to fund the government... Yeah. We need money. If you don't pass this bill to let the government have money, we have to shut the government down. Um, and he par- he attached this drug, uh, well, this 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 exclusionary rule bill mm-hmm. uh, to an appropriations bill. It was a four hundred nineteen page bill. Oh God! And that under House rules, there was only five minutes permitted for debate. <laughs> And he threw it into the last minute. So how many pages per minute? That's fast, really. It doesn't take you like two years to read. Um, Now, he said, the American people have shown in the latest poll that this is the number one issue for them, arresting more people. Do not worry about next week. Do not worry about last week. Just fucking sign the bill. We have to fund the government. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you can have all the opposition you want to the Senate bill, but I mean, I, I don't know a history of how or when the government first shut down because it's happened several times um, since I've been an adult. But the point is, I mean, th- this would have been a big deal because, like you said, it would have all shut down and, and we lose millions of dollars to get it back going up again. So there was no way the appropriations bill was going to be shot down. And that was the whole point. So that was the first time that happened, apparently, 1984. And the bill passed October 11th, which was yesterday, um, the Omnibus Crime Bill of 1984. It's also called, what, the Comprehensive Crime Act or something? It's got several names. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It was passed. It was the first comprehensive revision of the U.S. Criminal Code since the early 1900s. It boosted maximum prison terms for drug crimes stipulated that anybody charged with a drug crime could get a 10-year sentence and held without bail. Fuck. Um, it 
it, it destroyed um, program that had been around for a long time that expunged the records of first-time drug offenders between the ages of 18 and 26 after they served their time. Mm-hmm. Um, it increased penalties for the cultivation, possession or transfer of marijuana, opened up civil forfeiture to seize assets of organised crime. So cops could now seize anything, cars, boats, cash, homes, bank accounts, stock portfolios, anything they either believed to have been purchased with drug money or, as we said earlier, I think in the last episode, anything equal in value to the money believed earned from drug sales, even if it's a legitimate, honestly bought and paid for asset. And... No charge or indictment or trial or conviction was necessary. Right. The burden of the proof was placed on the person whose assets were seized. So there is no innocent until proven guilty when it comes to Reagan's crime bill. If we think you're guilty, we're going to treat you like you're guilty until you prove your innocence. And, And if I could, I mean, again, just how in the hell do you prove I bought this car with my regular money and not my drug money or suspected drug money. I mean, that's insane that you, and there's no way to prove that. So of course they get to keep the car. And, and, and the, one of the other parts of this bill that, that we've harped on in other bills is that um, some of these new laws were controversial, but this one wasn't is that the assets that were seized would be shared by law enforcement agencies that were involved in the case. Now, of course, the state and federal lo- local levels, they're not going to get very much, but that's not the point. The point is, it, like we said in the, I think it was in the previous episode, the state and local entities are going to be motivated to go after this because their budgets are being cut or because they frankly want more. And so by 1991, that fund that held all of the seized assets was $1.6 billion dollars billion which means the state and local agencies are getting millions of millions of dollars how can they not be motivated by this part of the law hundreds of millions of dollars exactly now um got to point out that this the civil forfeiture of assets wasn't targeted at murderers or kidnappers or rapists or CEOs who were polluting the environment, but drug offences. They were the people that were getting their assets seized pre-charge and pre-trial. Jeez. Now, uh, this is the, the, the beginning of the age of the free market criminal justice system in the United States. We get to take your money. Now, of course, one of the impacts of this... Now, you might be sitting there thinking, as I did when I first said, okay, well, these people, uh, even though we... Okay, we know that drugs aren't really bad, but um, these it is illegal at this juncture. Mm-hmm. So um, if you're seizing their assets uh, and they're criminals, even if you're doing it before they're charged, all right, kind of goes against the whole idea of guilt, innocent until proven guilty, but fuck it, they're, they're guilty... So it's okay. But what what I didn't realize is what about the innocent people that get caught up in this? We think you're guilty, so we're going to take all your stuff. Don't worry. Right. You can get it back. All you need to do is pay for an attorney and spend the next year, two years of your life waiting for it to go to trial. You don't have a house. Where are you going to live? Right. Not my problem. You don't have a car. How are you going to get to work? Not my problem. You don't have any money in the bank. How are you going to pay for a lawyer? Not my problem. Um, The people that get caught up in that, 
what happens to their lives destroyed along the way? Not my problem. As one federal prosecutor said, under the Constitution, defendants are entitled to legal advice, not to high-priced advice. So you'll get a <laughs> overworked, underpaid public defender. Yeah. Um, you can't even afford a good lawyer, even if no. you had the money. And if you're a regular Joe with very little in the way of savings and assets anyway, cops claim you're selling drugs, they take your house, they take your bank account, you have to fight to get them back. Uh, and also there was a new law um, where defence lawyers could be subpoenaed to tell how much they received as a retainer and how much they were being paid Damn. for their services. Because so if, you, if, you, yeah. if you're accused of being a drug dealer and the government seized all your assets but you're paying a lawyer $10,000, they go, where'd you get the money from? <laughs> to pay for the lawyer, right. that's, that's us. That's ours. Give us the money. You can't use it to pay a lawyer. Exactly. And the defense, the defense lawyer has to tell them because it's now the law. So even the, your own attorney is being used against you. The knowledge that you give them is going to the prosecution to a degree. So that's what was going on. Um, all of these changes were pushed through, as we said, bipartisan support. Um, the number of wiretap requests submitted to federal judges went up by 60%. Uh, they were 100% approved. And then in the mid-80s, yeah. employers started to get involved in this. Uh, they started to become active players in the war on drugs. And the first way they did it was through urine testing. <laughs> I am so excited that we're going to be talking about urine now. If I had a TARDIS, I wouldn't go kill Hitler. <clears throat> I wouldn't go back and see Julius Caesar. I wouldn't go back and watch Solar Alexander the Great. I would go back to the early 80s, and I would invest in a urine test company because by now I would have more money than God. You would go back and yeah, so submit you got, yourself you got, to test it. Like, just... <laughs> Like, I don't have a machine, just pee into my mouth and I'll swish it around a little bit and I'll tell you, oh, I can taste no. the drugs. Yeah, he's definitely guilty. Spit it out. Make sure you spit it all out. Right. No, you've you got this. <laughs> no, there's an image I can't get out of my head. You've got Ronald and Nancy Reagan, Reagan ratcheting up the drug wars. You've got companies getting involved because um, they're, you know, they're paranoid that they're workers are not being productive, and at the very least, they're being bad citizens. You've got the federal government looking for drug users. And so, yeah, this entire industry is created. Life finds a way like the dinosaurs, but so does business opportunities. Here's an opportunity, and these companies are going to come in, and they are going to make millions. Like the dinosaurs? Dinosaurs are all dead, man. Like, what do you mean life finds a way? Like the No, dinosaurs? life finds a way. The Jurassic Park, you know, life finds a way. Business opportunities find a way, too. It was just an example that I used. It was a Jurassic Park quote, right? Yeah. Um, Is that, that okay? Is that on the acceptable sure. list? of Okay, uh, just check. Yeah, it doesn't, didn't make any sense to me at the time, but no. okay. But now. Um, so, yeah, urine uh, testing went through the roof. Um uh, by 1984, a fifth of Fortune 500 corporations had some kind of urine testing program. Now, I gotta, I gotta admit, I, I don't really understand why 
this was happening. I tried to unpick this in my brain, right. why the corporations were getting behind urine testing. Why? What do you, what, what you think is going on here? Why were they so excited about getting people to pee in a cup? Well, one, I like to watch. Two, no, I think it's just the political culture of the time. You've got the Reagans going on for years. You've got the right kind of Americans supporting them. A lot of these uh, corporate owners or, or stockholders might be conservative Republicans as well, so they're going to get on board. But I don't know. I just think it's it's the war on drugs. This is our the greatest threat that we have. Everybody needs to do their part. Basically, I think they were just drinking the Kool-Aid because if you st- if you step back and think about it, it doesn't make that much sense. I might get high on the weekend, but when Monday or Tuesday comes, whenever I come back to work, I'm probably not going to be high, and I'm going to go back and do my job. I, I think they were just caught up in the momentum of the Reagans. Yeah, that I don't buy that. I mean, again... So We're talking they, about yeah. rational actors making decisions that they think are in their own self-interest here. I don't think corporations get swept up in something unless is there's it, a profit motive in there. Is it good PR? Is it so? So why are corporations doing it? They have to spend. They have to spend a lot of money to get their people tested. Mm. Yeah, look, I don't know. I mean, okay, so there are certain jobs where you probably don't want your employees to be high um, <laughs> if they're involved in handling explosives uh, or something else that's dangerous. You probably don't want them. You t- probably don't want them to be completely baked. My dentist. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so okay, I get that. So maybe that does make sense. Maybe they think um, it's going to increase the profitability of the company mm. if you can weed out the drug users. Maybe the theory was, okay, people are high all day. Um, uh, I mean, if they're drinking, you can smell it on their breath. If they're snorting coke, yeah. you can't uh, smell it on their breath. You might, you, know, you might be able to tell from their pupils and maybe they're running around talking fast and... <laughs> Um, <laughs> playing rock and roll. I don't know, but uh, or air guitar. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they figured, uh, you know, it's 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 going to increase productivity and therefore profitability if if we can weed out the drug users, or like they did when they were bringing the boys home from Vietnam. At least say, listen, you, if you know you're going to be tested. Mm-hmm then you won't ah, shoot up before you come to work. If you know you have random gotcha. testing, make just stop. the threat right. of it enough is to make them stop. Um, not really sure. Haven't, haven't unpicked that one all the way. But either way, it turned out to be a huge business. Uh, Carlton Turner said that every major corporation in the US within the next three to five years will have pre-employment screening Wall Street Journal predicted that urine testing would be $250 million by the end of the 80s, and they were actually a little bit under the mark. It was about a $300 million industry. Right. The businesses involved in urine testing exploded. Um, so maybe that, maybe a couple of corporations had investments in urine testing, and uh, they it. said, oh, yeah. we're going to do it. You should do it too, eh? Yeah. Hey, urine testing. You don't want to have druggies. Oh, maybe you do. Maybe you're pro-drug. Maybe you want right. all your employees to be druggies. Meanwhile, they've, they're building these other businesses on the side where they're profiting from it. Um, in his book, Steal This Urine Test, <laughs> Fighting Drug Hysteria in America, Abby Hoffman, right. the famous political and social activist, called urine testing the gold rush of the 80s. Oh, God. Yeah. 
Abby Abby wrote uh, the famous books "Fuck the System" and "Steal This Book." Damn. Um, and then edgy. Uh, then uh, committed suicide. Took an overdose. When it all got, all got too much for him, couldn't handle the uh, right. Couldn't handle America and the uh, where the direction it was going in, and uh, he committed suicide. Okay, so here's my question. So you and I don't agree with this, but the point is they're doing drug tests. Maybe they're going to weed out the people that are weak, and so and it is obeying the law, and it's probably better not to have drugs in your system. So there's all this testing going on. So what? What's the possible downside of testing people? What could go wrong? Well, yeah. So the downside, again, like civil forfeiture pre-trial, was that innocent people were getting caught up in this. Um, Employees were firing people who tested positive even though the testing standards were terrible. The, The CDC did a nine-year study and found that most of the results were inaccurate. Oh, God. There was, a, there was a conference of forensic scientists in Cincinnati, and the chief toxicologist for North Carolina's medical examiner stood up and said, is there anybody in the audience who would submit urine for cannabinoid testing if mm-hmm. his career, reputation, freedom, or livelihood depended on it? This is oh. a room full of forensic scientists not a single hand went up. <laughs> nope. 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 Not sure if it's because they knew that the testing was unreliable. Right. Or if because they were all baked out of their fucking skulls. Because <laughs> if I'm going to a conference in Cincinnati. I'm going to get high. Guarantee you. Yeah. I'm getting, I'm getting Low high. Low job and uh, high. The entire time I'm right. there. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh. But so yeah, a lot of innocent people are losing their jobs here um, because they tested high, even though the testing was completely oh, God. flawed. And, and again, I, um, one just to make the point: if it comes back positive and it's true, maybe I did pot three weeks ago or two weeks ago, but I'm at my job now and I'm I'm not high. My impairment is fine. I mean, I'm not impaired. I'm doing my job. That was a weekend. That was a Fourth of July party. It was a three day weekend or whatever. But I'm not high now. I mean, why do I have to be fired? I'm doing my job. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> we know that. We know that uh, drug users, Ray, are morally weak people. Ah. And in Reagan's in America, we don't want morally weak people. We no. just want uh, the best and the brightest. Strong white uh, Red-blooded, red, white, and blue-blooded Americans. <laughs> but with white skin. Now, um, the corporate media got on board with all of this as well. Obviously, um, they love a good fear campaign. Unpicking the motivations of the media in this has never been that difficult. They love salacious stories that scare people because it sells. Right. The more people buy your magazine or your newspaper or watch your nightly news bulletin or listen to your radio show because they're scared of this new scourge or the new international threat, or whatever it is, um, Donald Trump's running for president. What? That's crazy. I <laughs> better a, watch. Give me a joint. Um, oh, your, your readership numbers go up. Your viewership numbers go up. means you can charge more for advertising. Right. So the media is always up for a good 
salacious story. Now, they had changed this story a lot. You might remember a couple of episodes ago, I said that, I think it was Time magazine, did a story about cocaine in the early 80s, and they're like, cocaine, it's the rich white man's party drug. Um, it's the cool people's drug, right? Don't you know? It's it's the drug of Keith Richards and 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 David Bowie and 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 fucking I don't know Bullshit. rich people, Gordon right. Gecko, Wall Street, right? Right. Not a problem. Now, 1985, Newsweek runs a cover story: cocaine, the evil empire. <laughs> oh God! Look, I looked it up. The photo is of a guy snorting li- snorting lines of coke off a mirror. Yes. Um. That was the uh, story that they were running with there. They started talking about crack babies. Oh, God. Um, They were starting to push the fear side of it again in a big way. And again, because uh, it sells papers. We've seen this from the very beginnings of this, even before Harry Anslinger. Right. Oh, my God, the Black and Mexican druggies are coming to rape your white women. <laughs> um, that's uh, that's the media business, man. Yeah, but but again, I mean, uh, uh, this is 1985, the early 80s when um, when and I guess even at this point, but a lot of people white. It just it just really sickens me that when a lot of white people are doing a drug, it's somehow cool somehow slightly less illegal or more acceptable. But now that there's high-speed chases, there's shootouts, there's the machine gun wars in Miami, people are, innocent people are being hurt. Um, it's time for the people who, the media, to turn on cocaine, if you will, like you said, to come up with these horror stories and boost their own, um, the, their own ratings and subscription numbers. Yeah, no one's busting... Wall Street. Right. Uh, no one's busting uh, for Wall Street people for doing cocaine, I mean, or, you know, very few Hollywood actors or rock and roll stars. It's not rich white people that are getting busted here or even targeted usually. Yeah. It's poor minorities, black people, Mexicans, hippies. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that we're going Counter after because it's not really about drugs. If, right. we've, if we've been clear about anything, this is about... Politics and money. It's not about drugs. Um, now, getting back to Edwin Meese, mm-hmm. Reagan's new attorney general, um, he doesn't think it's enough to go after the the pushers, He's got the people bringing plan. drugs into the country. Yeah, yeah. He <laughs> wants to go hard on the users again. And the whole um, going after the importers tactic wasn't really working. I think, as you mentioned at the end of the last episode, cocaine prices were falling yeah. during this period. They get, they've been going hard on the Tex-Mex border and the Reagan's new agencies all around the country to stop the drugs getting into the country. But there's so much coming in that the prices are falling due to oversupply of the market. Right. So again, they're going to go after the average citizen. And by the way, there's not a lot of PR effort, uh, PR value in going after Mexicans uh, or Colombians or right. people trying to import it in, uh, the, the PR value is in cracking down on the next-door neighbour. So Mies wants to do that, and he knew who the drug users were. He said it. They're the young people who got hooked on drugs in the 1960s and 70s, took their habits with them as they grew older. 
It's therefore no surprise to find that marijuana and cocaine are favourite recreational drugs among the so-called young, upwardly mobile professionals. We can and we must discourage drug use among the successful and the affluent. Which begs the question, if taking drugs makes you successful and affluent, (laughs) why is it a problem? Shouldn't the government be giving drugs to people and saying, listen, we have scientific evidence that taking drugs makes you successful and affluent, um, so please have these drugs on us and good luck with your career. And and the other thing, I still can't believe, and this is just me, why pot and cocaine, those words, are in the same sentence. I mean, this is absolutely insane. I don't think Mies knows anything more about He's certainly not looking at any commissions or reports or whatever. He's just probably going off the nightly news and Time magazine or whatever. But he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's trying to do something. If you can't even stop the drugs coming in, how in the hell are you going to stop the users when there's so many, so much more of them? But it doesn't matter. Because of his position, he can, he can manifest his political will, and he knows Reagan is going to back him to the hilt. So now we've got a new war, a new phase of the war on drugs, and this time we're going after the users. The reason why Edwin Meese was um, so obsessed with drugs is because he was so horny. People used to say all the time, oh, that Meese, so horny. Everything you want. Everything. Everything. Oh. Don't do that, baby. Oh. Don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah. Damn. So, so um, the other brilliant argument that Reagan's people were making at the time went like this. Alcohol and tobacco are used by much larger populations than the illicit drugs that are related to fully 25% of deaths in this country each year. Right. So, you're going to go after them? No. So, the theory was that if you legalize drugs... Cocaine would be used by as many people as cigarettes. Therefore, in a sense, 90% of our cocaine problem is being handled by our current supply reduction efforts. Conclusion, supply reduction works. Okay. Let me break that down for you. (laughs) People 
are using alcohol and tobacco and killing themselves. Right. If drugs were more easily available, they would be using more drugs Ah. and more of them would be dying. So the fact that they're not using more drugs means that we're succeeding. Bullshit. Right. Mm. So that's, uh, I don't know. That's your finest minds at work, truly, there in the Reagan administration. Um, I, I, now, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'm just going to wrap it up. Okay, well, j- just let, give me give me 30 seconds of go, getting on my soapbox. So this is 1986, 1987, or whatever it is, 1985, 1986. It, it may sound like there's nothing else going on in the world but this drug war of Ronald Reagan's. And there's no way that they can possibly be this obsessed with... Christian values, morality, and thinking drugs are bad. And and the, obviously part of this is to confuse the issue, to distract people, and like you said, to be able to take their money. Because there's plenty of other issues going on in America for people to be pissed off about if they can get two seconds to think about it. You've got Reagan's non-reaction to AIDS. He doesn't even really say anything until 1987. You've got the anti-gay stance, the effects of deregulation, cutting back social programs, anti-abortion stance, policies on civil rights, trickle-down economics that are not working, invading Granada, we're going to bomb Syria, the the whole uh, strong arm tactics of the Civil War, selling weapons to Iran, the whole hostages things, selling weapons to Iraq and Iran so they can kill each other, destabilize the, re- the region. There's a whole shit ton of a fuckstorm going on in America that Reagan has helped causing, but at the same time, he's trying to have this war on drugs to put down the wrong people, to make sure the right people succeed. It's a culture war, but at the same time, to distract people from what is really going on with his other policies of his government. So don't just think this is all about culture war or trying to get money. He's trying to distract people from his the times that he's fucked up. And it's been a lot. I'm finished. Very true. I'm finished now. Now, before we go, um, next time uh, we're going to be talking about a new drug yeah. that started to hit the party scene I want a new in drug. the 80s. Uh, MDMA. Yeah. Methyl in dioxymethamphetamine, um, better yeah. known today as ecstasy or mollies if you're in the uh, party scene. Um, that started to become popular. We'll talk about that in the next episode. Um, but uh, before we go, I wanted to play you something. Yeah. So as you know, it was my birthday a couple of days ago and my two uh, older boys, Hunter and Taylor, my 18-year-olds, mm-hmm. um, recorded a rap track for... Oh. Uh, for me, Priceless. and I thought I would play it for you. Now, see if you can hear this. I might have to uh, change some of my settings. I'm going to go out with this. Okay, here we go. Haven't quit. You just went nuts, right? If it's following the fit. 
You said you had Max, but don't know when the pass. If you see Jason Nelson, is he gonna get class? Done with three kids, so thankfully, maybe you should go get other sex in me. Bitches saying Xbox to call me a cheat. Don't fuck with me, I'm over six feet. Happy birthday to you, you're now 48. These bars are for fun, so no dissent. Hey, do you really deserve that hourly rate? You've had three kids, just go masturbate. Now you realize you're finally getting old. If you don't ride scooters, I break your shoulder. Not to E4, I'm gonna take your rope. Stop playing chess, boy, go finish your book. Did you did you hear your shout Classic. out in that? Your yes, shout I out did. in the early bit. Yes, thank you. I think so. They got talent. They got skill. They got potential. I like that. You said you weren't smoking, but you really haven't quit. You just went and asked Ray if he'd swallow and not spit. There you go, my boys. <laughs> uh, there, ladies and gentlemen, the rapping Riley brothers. Uh, <laughs> Have a good week. We'll be back with MDMA.